Yeah, I think he lost it. I think he lost his cool and that he obviously took it a step too far. The push was one thing, but to, to throw the punches is another. And I think to do that in a practice setting with a teammate and cl behind closed doors is one thing, but then for it to become public, it's a it's a completely different issue. And I think Steve Kerr talked about it. If this was done in private. They could have handled the matter in private and he would have been at practice the next day and he would have been in the playing in the preseason game they just played in as if nothing happened. But since it became a public ordeal, now there's a, a conversation that has to be addressed. What's up, everyone? I want to welcome you back to the CJ McCollum Show. I am sitting in my makeshift office currently across from my co-host, Izzy Gutierrez. Izzy, how's it going? How's life? CJ, I'm doing good, man. Um, I know you has, guys had the first episode last week. I'm sorry I overslept. Thank you for keeping me on. Uh, I am wondering, though, having watched it, uh, can you tell me about the cow behind you? Yeah, that is the cash cow, as you can see behind me. I talked about it a little bit in the initial episode but basically to make a long story short my wife and i have I've gotten into art a little bit and on vacations we try to buy a piece um depending mm -hmm. on where we're at that kind of reminds us of the vacation the trip but also is symbolism of something that's funny that's like either a part of our life or like an inside joke i love cows um Wait, so I love cows. That's not like a sentence cows. people normally say. When did you get into cow? <laughs> when I say I love cows, I mean I, I love to eat different types of steak. Oh, I love okay. produce. <laughs> I love the produce side of, of cows. But I thought it was a, a very, very cool situation with the cash around the cow to de describe like cash cow. And when my wife seen it, she kind of laughed and said, that would be a great piece for your office. It'd be like a funny inside joke. And next thing you know, the uh, picture arrives and it's literally almost as, as, as large as me. So it's, it's like a huge piece <laughs> that goes into the office instead of like a small piece that we envision. Right. But that's a lot. Where, where were you vacationing that you got it? We were in Hawaii. So we were, we were in Hawaii for my wife's 29th uh, birthday. It was a, it was a really good time. We enjoyed it and we ended up um, going to, I think we went to Lahaina and explored mm. that area a little bit and did some shopping. And then we went back to the island we were staying at. I've yet to be to go to Hawaii, but I can't wait. Uh, also, since it's, you know, first time on the show, say congratulations on your son. Uh, what, almost 10 months now? Nine months today. Nine, nine months uh, today. Yes, impressive that you 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 know that. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm appreciative of that. It's the, it's the best part of, you know, our life. We're so happy to uh, be able to share a child together and be able to see, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff, how he grows, the facial expression that he's making, the facial recognition. Now he's saying, dada, mama. Um, hmm. He's like telling you, like, pick him up. He's rolling and he's starting to crawl. So it's just, it's the, it's the most rewarding thing that I've ever been a part of. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to, I know, you know, obviously you had the pull-up pod before and people who, you know, are, are tuning in probably know you pretty well, but I wanted to ask you some more questions just to kind of get to know you a little bit better because you're from Canton, Ohio, which is the uh, home of the Football Hall of Fame, NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, you played at Lehigh in Pennsylvania, drafted in the top 10, in starting from your third season, averaging 20-plus in the league. Uh, president of the Players Association now. Um, lead, you know, lead guard with a, on a team with high aspirations. Like, what are you most proud of? Because you've done a lot and surprising probably a lot of people who didn't know you, you know, when you were younger. Yeah, I think I'm... Um... Twofold. I think I'm most proud of the journey. I'm most proud of 
my story, like the the way that I got to where I'm at today. You know, I went to a small school. I was short. You know, everybody knows the story. They seen the the, the picture that went viral where I'm five foot you know, two. <laughs> yeah, five foot two, 107 pounds. I was 107.9 pounds, and then I was uh, five six, 115, five eleven, 140. Committed to Lehigh at five eleven, and then my senior season, I played it at six two, 150. Um, so just the journey that I've made, you know professionally but obviously as a man is, is just something that can be told as a story on hard work due diligence doing things the right way and I think I've been authentic to who I am as a person and as a player I always believed in myself even when I was 5'2 so then when I got to 6'3 and I had success um, I knew that it came from the work I knew that it came from a higher power and I knew it came from opportunities so I was appreciative of that but I would say my story and my journey the injuries that I've gone through not playing right away, getting drafted to the Portland Trailblazers and sitting the bench, getting DMPs, being a third string guard, and then becoming a starter, as you said before, to averaging 20 a game since I've been a starter, to going to the playoffs nine straight years, to being traded, to starting a family, um, to having a son, to getting married. I think all those things make me who I am, and those are all a part of my identity, but I think my story is what I'm most proud of because it's not a normal story, right? Like, it's not a no. situation where I'm six eight. I'm, I'm 240 and they just know I'm going to the league. It's a story where like, people are like, Oh, I'm surprised he made it. <laughs> right. I'm surprised he's still here. Like, <laughs> I couldn't imagine being five, two and just having that level of confidence, even though, you know, that, what is that? Ninth grade, eighth grade, like that level, you're still pretty, you know, sort of childish, you know, uh, thoughts, right. You had like this uh, confidence that maybe you don't really know where it comes from, but like when you're on the court with all these other giants, like, where does that come from? I think it comes from my neighborhood. Yeah, you, you talked about Canton, Ohio. It's the Football Hall of Fame. I grew up playing football. I grew up in an environment that wasn't the greatest in terms of my surroundings, but I made the best of it. And it, it taught me a unique perspective on toughness. And my mom always raised us to be confident. She raised us to, to work, but to know that it's important you believe in yourself because if you don't, no one will. And I think that's where I got a lot of my irrational confidence and these beliefs in which I just felt like, if these people can make it to the NBA from my neighborhood, you know, the Eric Snows of the world, the Keith McClouds of the world, Costa Kufis, who I, I played with in high school, dear friend of mine to this day. And I got to see the work ethic. I got to see what it really takes to be a, a professional. And I knew that whether I made it to the NBA or overseas, I had to work a certain type of way, but I, I knew that it wasn't just a skill set that would set me apart. I knew it was something deeper. It was something about the heart. It was something about the mind. It was something about the ability to overcome obstacles that would set me apart from others because I'm not the most talented player in the NBA. I have a good skill set and I know how to do certain things, but it's the mentality and my ability to work and then overcome failures that has made me very successful. I want to talk about that skill set real quick because like, I know people like talk about you know, players that were relatable. That, that I think Steph's probably the one that comes up. He's like, oh, I think I can do that, right? I can envision myself yeah. shooting three. When I play, I always looked at players like you, players that weren't necessarily um, <clears throat> jumping through, the jumping out the gym, but had every shot in the book. Like, it doesn't matter how you defend them. There's a counter. There's, you know, you, I don't even know if you would even say you have a go-to shot. I just think you just have all the shots. And so I'm just curious... <laughs> How a lot of those come up, you know, uh, just developing that skill set and knowing that uh, that's going to be good enough for you to play at the most elite level. Yeah, I think I made a decision early on that there's a lot of players who can pass. There's a lot of players who can dribble. There's a lot of players who can shoot. But there's not a lot of players who can do all three. 
And I felt like if I could master one first, which was scoring, that I would be able to go to school for free. It's like, if I can be a good scorer and be elite and be efficient, I'll go to school for free. So the goal was get a scholarship so mommy and daddy don't have to pay for it because mommy and daddy can't pay for it. They already told right. me. If it's up to us, you're going to take out a loan or you're going to have to get really good grades because we can't afford a scholar. We can't afford to pay for school. So get a scholarship. So that's what the mindset was. It was work on a, a variety of moves, be able to shoot off the dribble, be able to shoot catch and shoot, be able to blow by guys and finish at the rim, not really finishing at the rim, you know, in the league because everybody's seven foot. But you have to have a crafty variety similar to Kyrie Irving. And I think I worked mm -hmm. on that daily to where. It was a it was a joke. It was a running joke that it was like I score how I breathe. It's just natural and it looks easy. And I'm like, they have no idea how much work and time and sacrifice went into developing these skill sets to make it look easy. But I think the goal was to go to school for free. Once I went to school for free, I was like, all right, I'm a good passer, I'm a good ball handler, but I'm a great scorer. So I have to lean into this so that they know that I have an identity. And once I get to the NBA, I'll figure out how to pass. I'll figure out how to be a better defender. Like, I'll figure those things out. But I need an identity. And I leaned on scoring. And I think I joke with people all the time and say, like, I'm a really good passer. I just got paid to score. <laughs> and I got paid handsomely to score. So I made sure that I did that well. And I think now I'm at a stage in my career where I can still score. I can, I can handle the ball. But I can run an offense. I can get assists. I can make other players better. And now that I've proven that I can score at an elite level, it's time to really show other parts of my game that I didn't necessarily show. Maybe I wasn't putting that put in the, the right position to do that. And maybe I neglected that part of my game. But now I want to show the full arsenal and show that like I'm a basketball lover and addict of this game in terms of my preparation and how I study. And now you're going to see the full like basketball repertoire. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply now let's talk about the play of the week the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play and Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. That's what I think of. Like, I think of you as like a basketball addict. Like, there's no way you can have all those shots in your in your bag and not just practice those all the time. You know, Kobe famously talked about all that stuff, too. And it's just like, man, it's it's crazy impressive. Uh, sorry, I'm just geeking out a little bit on your uh, <laughs> on your skill set over there. Um, so you're like in the heart of your career here, like, um, you know, in a relatively new team. You were there last year. Um, a lot on your plate. 
why do you want to be in the media as well while you're still playing? Because there's this, you know, trend, a handful of players are doing this. Draymond Green, uh, Andre Iguodala, uh, you know, you name them. And so why? Yeah, I think for me, it's always been a part of my identity. You know, I went to Lehigh University. I majored in journalism. I minored in mass communication and sociology. And there was always an emphasis on speaking. There was always an emphasis on storytelling and me wanting to be authentic about the ways in which I share. I wanted to not only provide resources and opportunities for people, but I wanted to be able to give them a different type of lens into life as an NBA player, life as a role player, life as a guy who starts in the league. And I think that was the really cool part about the original things I was doing in, in journalism and sports media from CJ's Press Pass, a young mentorship journalism program that I did to doing radio stations, jamming 107.5 playlist to doing Series XM radio to do an iHeart radio to now a partnership with ESPN in which I can do TV. I have a podcast and I'm able to live out some of my off court dreams. Like it all started with me watching Sports hmm. Center. Like it started with me watching Stuart Scott, may he rest in peace. It started with me being able to see someone holding a mic and interviewing a guy after the game. And I thought to myself, I want to be the one to hit the game winner, but I want to have the skills to be able to interview the person that hits the game winner. Wow. Too. Interview yourself. That would be skills right there. <laughs> that would be, that would be a bar. But I, I think, I think the cool thing about this situation is I have this skill set. So it's not like I just jumped into it. Like I prepared for it. I interned, I did this stuff to where if I wasn't hooping, like I would be in a position to do this full time and be really good at it. Too. But I think the, I say all this to say the storytelling part was important to me. I want to be able to share your stories. And I felt like this was a skill set that I had to offer. And as a guy who listens to other podcasts, who loves sports, who's a fan of storytelling, I felt like as a player, I'd be able to get players to open up more and be willing to share things that they wouldn't normally share with a journalist. And I think that right. comfortability, that comfortability is important, but also them knowing that like I'm in the trenches with you. I'm not out here to make you look bad. I'm not out here to try to take advantage of you. I will edit this for you. I'll send it to you. Make sure that it's how you want it to be. I would never put you in a bad position or bad light. And I think that's the cool part of where I'm at now. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, uh, I've covered the Miami Heat for seven, eight years down in uh, South Florida newspapers and the Miami Herald, one of them. And I was a columnist and stuff. So been like in part of the league for a long time. And my favorite thing to do is to write the feature stories, is to write just, hey, Let's just go somewhere and just chat and be comfortable. And then, hey, I'll, you know, I'll tell your story in a way that's never going to make you look bad. But there's just not that same level of trust as you did somebody that you see every single day in the locker room. And so you really have to work that relationship, really have to, you know, make them feel comfortable. And I do think that what, you know, you and several other players are doing here is just sort of making that more of a natural feeling. It's just to like, hey, I don't feel like I'm sitting down and being grilled. I'm actually just talking. And and I think it's probably gotten across what it is that the rest of us have been wanting to do this whole time. So I feel like it's just crazy beneficial if you are a fan of the game and want to get to know these players and just, hey, just pop on the podcast. They'll be speaking as comfortably as you'll ever hear them. No, I completely agree. And I think the authenticity that we're seeing in journalism from players, I think it's really, really important. Obviously, Dre is doing podcasts after games. Mm. He's doing podcasts during the finals. Dre does a podcast right after they win the finals. He gets clay on. Like I think those stories that they're going to tell and share are really unique, and it's a perspective that I know the fans appreciate because I'm in the league, but they're still telling stories that I'm not hearing, stories that I'm not familiar with, and I think that's really important for fans to be able to connect on a different level. And I imagine – you know, the likes of Mike, AI, like those types of players, if they were going to go on a podcast during their careers, the amount of stories that they would tell to a player versus a journalist would probably be a little different. 
um, speaking of stories that we don't know, uh, I think there's one particular story that we all know right now. What were you guys uh, talking about on the plane ride back? Where'd you just come back from? We just came back from San Antonio. We had a one game trip. Nice, nice, easy trip. We ended up getting a win. A lot of young guys played well. So we were excited about the development and growth and opportunities for them. But the story that's been surrounding the airwaves, the internet, the TMZ video uh, that leaked uh, recently caused a lot of plane chatter. There was a lot of plane chatter around the Draymond Green situation, Jordan Poole situation, the Warriors situation, how they handled it. A lot of storytelling on guys discussing what they would have done if they were in that situation, what that looks like for their team. And I think the moral of the story is that we all can agree that what Dre did was wrong. And I know Dre personally, like that's a friend of mine and, what he did was wrong, but we don't know what happened leading up to that. And I think the other thing to think about is how did this leak? Well, for those who I don't know who wouldn't have known, but for those who haven't, uh, Draymond Green, it was reported initially was reported that he punched Jordan Poole in a practice. And then a day later, TMZ video leaked or TMZ got a hold of a video and it showed him going up to Jordan Poole before, during a drill, punching him in the face. And it became a conversation not only of, hey, what is Draymond doing? What did Jordan Poole do to, you know, quote unquote, deserve that type of response? And then I think what became ridiculously interesting was how did that leak and why? And I think that's where the Golden State Warriors tried to take it, maybe to get attention away from what actually happened. But which one of those is like top of your list from intrigue level? Top of the list would definitely be the conversation around it. Like, as a fly on the wall, like I've been in the NBA. This is this is year ten. We've I've seen fights. I've seen almost fights. I've seen almost punches thrown. I've almost been on the side of all of those. I've been said some things I probably shouldn't have said. I've been ready to swing, and I've seen guys Ooh. swing. So like I understand the dynamic of a locker room. I understand the dynamic of a team. You're talking about players who are around each other more than they're around our families. Like we see our teammates more than we see anybody. So things can happen. And there's a lot of stuff that happens off the court that may carry over to your own court life and what you're kind of dealing mm -hmm. with. But I think I was more interested in like the practice, what was happening in the practice, what was going on, because it gets competitive. Like we get, we're ready to fight a lot in practice. Now, mm -hmm there's a difference between being ready to fight and actually swinging. And I want to know what kind of happened throughout that practice to get them to that point. But I think the other part is like you talked about, was this leaked on purpose? Like as a, as a player, these types of things generally don't get leaked. We've seen the situation with, um, uh, what's his name with the Milwaukee Bucks now where he punched somebody in the face. Mircic. He punched Mircic in the face. Oh, yeah. Uh... Man. Bobby Portis. Yes, Bobby Portis. Thank you. No video ever leaked of Bobby Portis punching someone in the mm -hmm. face. And I'm sure that they recorded that practice. Steve Kerr gets in a fight with Michael Jordan in practice. Punches were thrown. No one ever leaked it. That's a tight-knit group, right? Like the video group, the people are recording. It's not like there's random people who could come in here and gotten, gotten a hold of that, right? Yeah, and my thinking is video coordinators – across the nba i don't know what their salary is not sure what they're making but that's a very risky thing to be a to be a part of if you are going to leak it so i think it's it's a it's an interesting situation which you got to be very powerful to leak that or just very careful well i would guess very careful first um whether you're powerful or not i, I want that so a lot of the reports coming in and you know 
speaking of leaks, people say it was leaked, you know, by certain agencies or whatever, but that Jordan Poole, you know, looking for a big contract was coming in a little bit sort of uh, too big for his britches, if you will, uh, maybe talking a bit much during practices and Draymond sort of set him in his place because things got a little bit uh, out of control or he got, he went a little bit too far with that stuff. That's stuff that's been reported. I'm wondering though, like Draymond is such a unique player, unique personality, not to say that he did something that severe to sort of spark the championship, you know, whatever it is to get rid of the hangover to sort of reset um, the, the championship thoughts and everything else that's that's a step too far right because like you said players are willing to are always ready to fight right so what's the what's the step that takes it over like what's that little detail that that separates hey we might fight to yeah i'm gonna step away from the team for a few days because i got out of control yeah i think he lost it i think he lost his cool and that he obviously took it a step too far the push was one thing but to, to throw the punches is another and i think to do that in a practice setting with a teammate and cl behind closed doors is one thing, but then for it to become public, it's a, it's a completely different issue. And I think Steve Kerr talked about it. If this was done in private. They could have handled the matter in private and he would have been at practice the next day. And he would have been in the playing in the preseason game. They just played in as if nothing happened, but since it became a public ordeal, now there's a, a conversation that has to be addressed. And as Steve Kerr said before, like we all have family members, right? We get in arguments yeah. with our family. I have a brother who I've fist fought and I still love him, but that, we still have fist fought before. Now, if that was recorded, that would make us look a lot different than how right. we look to the public eye. And I think that was the issue with this whole situation. Obviously, the punch was out of line. Like, he shouldn't have done it. Like, that's just what it is. You don't do that to a teammate. You don't do that to someone you got to go to war with, especially, you know, a younger player, right? Like, it's not like he did it to a 30-year-old veteran who plays the right. floor. He did it to a, a young guard who's 23 years old so i think that the the mental side of it is, is also an issue here because if that's just two 33 year olds or 32 year olds and they're both 6 8 250 then it's just like yeah whatever two big guys fighting in practice but since it was a yeah. guard a scoring guard who happens to be in a contract here who happens to be negotiating a contract i think those storylines kind of made it you know a different type of situation but i say all this to say that it was wrong he shouldn't have done it and the fact that it was leaked made it worse for everybody involved including their families as dre talked about because i can only imagine the calls i would have got from my mom if that was me getting hit and my grandma who doesn't have social media at all would have been like i was watching espn and i see like, you know what i mean like that's a yeah. conversation you don't want to have with your older family we should mention that draymond did say he apologized to his team he said he apologized to jordan Poole, and and i mentioned before he's taken a, a few days away uh from the team i I guess what I wonder is just with with Draymond in particular, um, he's such again, such a unique player, brings such a unique thing uh, element to this team. Right. But. What other things are they missing or what does it what do they have or don't have that Jordan Poole provides? What is the level of importance for both of those guys as Jordan's getting better and Draymond, you know, inevitably is aging and not as effective? I think their championship hopes rely on having both of them they need Draymond because he's the engine he's the defender he's the piece that kind of holds the puzzle together defensively he's the engineer on offense in terms of initiating the offense setting screens you've seen the offense when he went out you've seen how difficult the game was for Steph when he was out because he does a lot of the things no one else is willing to do or able to do at times he he doesn't care if he scores <laughs> he sets screens he gets rebounds 
and he's always constantly looking for Steph and Clay and now Jordan Poole. So I think that part of his game is something that they need to win a championship. Now, for the long haul, it's an obvious answer. The answer is Jordan Poole for the long haul. You're talking about a 23-year-old guard who you've seen the Spider-Man memes. He's, they like, they're pointing at each other. Like His game is very similar to Steph. He's watched him. He's studied him. He's worked out alongside him. He can shoot off the dribble off the catch, off pick and rolls, and isos. You've seen the in and out, the drive, the behind the back to look off the defender into the floater. Reminded me of you a little bit there. He has creativity that's hard to find. He has a skill set that's hard to master. Not to mention he just shot 92.5% from the free throw line to outshoot his teammate Steph Curry. Like This is a guy who's getting better, and he's in the peak of his powers in terms of window of opportunity, age, and earning potential like he's 23 he gets a four-year extension now that takes him to 27 or 28 he gets another one it takes him to 32 or 33 you're talking about 10 years nine ten years of his prime whereas Draymond doesn't have nine or ten years of his prime basketball left he's 32 so I think the answer is in the short term you need them both you want them both you want to try to win a championship but I mean you got a 23 year old guard who has the a similar skill set skill set a similar skill set <laughs> as Steph Curry and, and I'll say this too he's the only other guy on the team that can create for others like Clay's a shooter Clay score right. shooter score defender Lunik blue guy offensive rebounds set screens Wiggins Wiggins a little bit of ISO post game defender Jordan can run the offense he can get other people involved he can score he can run a pick and roll like I don't know another guy in that roster that's running a pick and roll Hmm. besides Steph right the urgency though it's interesting because like that's what uh Draymond is going to provide and like from a 23 year old who just won a championship and is about to get paid like it's a different level of urgency so it feels like Draymond and probably the vets but more so Draymond because of who he is just took maybe however Jordan was reacting this preseason just took it really personally because his window is closing and he knows that once that you know shuts it's not like he's going to play 10 more years just shooting from the three-point line. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a combination of things, honestly. But I think that the important thing to remember is that we're all humans, right? We all got our own personal battles, like things that we're, we're going through that we bring to work. And it's not always great that that happens, but things that may be happening in our own lives at home or whatever the case may be sometimes comes into work and then something can set you off to where you're angry. Like we've all been angry before. We may not have always thrown a punch but we've been angry right. enough to do it i have been angry enough to do it for sure and have definitely squared up on the court a few times with people and, and <laughs> been willing and able and ready to throw punches so i understand the mindset and the anger but to be able to use it more productively is, is always important and as we always say violence is not the answer and as a person who has a therapist that he speaks to i think it's important that you are able to deflect and reflect on on certain things to avoid these confrontations in public are you able to reflect on those near fights that you had and maybe provide some details? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I've, I almost, I've almost fought a lot of guys in practice to be honest with you, because I talk a lot in practice because you have to make it more mm. competitive. Like, well, let me just say this: I was saying this the other day. Like, in sports, is the only place where you can just do stuff, and then after you walk away from the line, say, eh, "My bad, it was just the game. It is what it is." And like. There's not too many other areas in life where you'd be like, mm, you said that, but hey, we were in this room, so that's okay. Uh, so when you're in there, it's like, it's a different set of rules. Anybody who's been playing, they kind of know that stuff. So it's got to be something that gets it to that next level because you kind of expect that stuff between the lines. 
yeah, you never make it personal, or at least you try not to. So mm-hmm. I think it's more so being quite frank. Like I talk a lot of trash in practice because practice can sometimes be boring. It's monotonous. It's every day. You're playing against the same people. It's like you got to make it more competitive. And I know how to get under people's skin as a younger sibling. So like I have that that skill, that trait. So I'm able to say things to kind of manipulate people or just make them angry. Like I'm the annoying voice sometimes in practice where I'm just saying stuff or someone that can't shoot. Let's say a guy that jumper is not very reliable shoots and you're like oh hell no like <laughs> you know what i mean like you just i hate there's nothing more that drives me crazy than when somebody hits you with a hell no and they're right and you miss i just it makes me want to walk off the court i hate that <laughs> yeah but it's like you do those types of things and then you win and then you you know you shake people's hands afterwards or right. you know tap them on the behind and say nice try like it's the little stuff that like really pisses people off and agitates them it's like the stuff that you don't like people doing that's what i do to other people while mm. i'm practicing but it, it's more like it's a foul or whatever the case may be and then it gets you know you, you go on face to face and you're talking trash and then it's just like usually it's just like all right or the refs come in or the coach comes in and it's like all right yeah you gotta stop or whatever the case may be but sometimes they just let you go and it is what it is. We've had to hold back people in practice. I mean, I've been in the NBA a long time. Like, you got to hold people back sometimes, or it's a screen set and the ref doesn't call. You got refs in practice sometimes where guys are ready to go at the refs. Like, there's a lot. Coaching staff, I've seen players and coaches get into it, and we've all been in a league long enough to see it. It just sometimes it happens and then no one finds out about it. And now we have a case in which everybody found out about it. All right. So was Damien scared when you squared up on him? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you, when we were speaking to Draymond there, uh, I just listened to, well, one of his last two podcasts, I think he had just gotten back from Japan. And I don't know if you watch those games out there, but um, have you done like an international preseason game before or even in-season game? I know they had a couple in-season as well. <clears throat> No, but this is a good chance for me to to pitch to Evan and Adam. Like I would love to to get outside of the United States and play in a preseason game. I think that's something we should definitely do. You look at our roster. We got Jonas Valanciunas. We got Willie Hernan Gomez. You know, we have a lot of European influence. We obviously have box office and Zion. We got Brandon Ingram. We have a variety of players who would be great on the international scene. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe we do. Israel, maybe we maybe we do Spain, you know, Greece, Turkey, Serbia, India, Serbia, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Africa. Like I, I'm I'm not against you know traveling anywhere in the preseason. I think it would be a really cool opportunity. I have played in the um, um, global games. I've 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 been to Africa and played in that, which was a really really cool and amazing experience for me. And I think. Um, just being able to watch and seeing the impact you have on fans, but also seeing how global the game is, I think is a really, really cool part of our sport and something that I don't take for granted. Yeah, well, Adam Silver mentioned uh, while he was in Abu Dhabi, mentioned that uh, they were trying or had been planning to bring pre- preseason games uh, to India again. Uh, I think COVID got in the way a little bit and definitely trying to expand that. Um it's kind of like a, a multi-pronged conversation here, but, I, you know, obviously from 92 when the Dream Team sort of expanded the game and et cetera, et cetera, like you look at how important even a preseason game is in some of these other places or a regular season game like uh, Mexico City a few years ago uh, and again this year, um, the impact that has on young players from those countries and the basketball that's that's developed as a result, like you look at Victor Wenbanyama, a seven foot four 
do everything player at, you know, in his teens still, it just goes to show you the impact of, you know, just international, just how this game goes, like how impactful it is and how it's grown in the last 30 years. Yeah. I think you look at the game, you look at the sport, you look at the importance of global influence and I can't say it enough how important it is for us to continue to develop basketball in other countries, but also to continue to show basketball in other countries so that kids can see it and feel like it's something that they can be a part of. And now being able to watch the sport, right? And you see a Giannis, you see a Luka Doncic, you see a Bismack Biyombo, you see all of these players from different walks of life, from different places, different countries who come from different circumstances, make it to this um, peak, right, if you will, of the highest level of sport in the NBA. I think it's a really amazing opportunity. I think it's it's important for our game. It's important for kids out there to see the sport and also helps us get better players. It also helps us get to players earlier to where they want to become a part of basketball. Joel Embiid talked about how he wasn't playing basketball until what, 15 or 16. He, he learned how yep. to shoot from watching YouTube videos. Like that's incredible. And now he's an MVP candidate every year. One of the best basketball players in our league. So to be able to see that, um, I think Adam, our league, our players understand the importance of having more games in other countries and other parts of the world because the next victor could be out there. And I don't know if he's out there anytime soon because this kid is phenomenal. He's special. He's an he's an all world yeah. player. There's Slow planets. down, world. We're not ready for seven foot five point guards. Yeah, like it's getting a little out of control. Like I'm wondering what you think when you first saw him as a six foot three guy, and you look. I mean, obviously your teammates with a guy who is uh, Zion is just one of those mom stars types of players, right? A body type that we've never seen before and can do so many things, can jump uh, out the gym. Like, where are we with basketball evolution? Like, is it is it is this the peak? Is it going to uh, stop at Victor Wembanyama and we don't get any bigger than that? Or is it like just that much more difficult for guys even of your size to develop, uh, you know, your place in the NBA when these guys just keep coming? I mean, Kevin Durant's a seven-footer, you know what I mean? Right. I think we're getting close to the peak of its powers in terms of athleticism and the versatility of size and skill. But I think there's just going to be more of those types of players. Like right now, mm -hmm. it's just like every blue moon, you get a Baron, you get a KD, you get a Kyrie, you get a Mike, you get a Victor, you get a Giannis. Like you're sprinkling them in more and more. I think the players are the players, right? Like you got uber talent, uber skill set. They're working out earlier. They're taking care of their bodies more. The skill set is crazy. You get a, a Luka Doncic who's, you know, six seven, can shoot the step back and throw a no look pass, but he's a point guard. Like it's it's wild to see. But I think now we're just getting more of them because more people mm -hmm. are becoming involved in basketball earlier. And they're seeing players that look like them, right? Like you see a Kevin Durant, you're like, I don't have to play in the posts. I can shoot threes. So then you start working on it. And then you're like, you know what? I can initi initiate an offense. And you watch Giannis and you're like, I can dunk on people and I can shoot threes. It's like the evolution of the game is is really cool to see because a lot of players are working on more aspects and parts of their game. And there's not like coaches putting you in boxes saying, well, he's six, seven, he has to play in the post. They're like, no, nah, he can bring it up. And I think that's the cool part of our game where we're just going to get more of these. I don't know if it gets better because it's like, what's better than Brian? What's better than Michael Jordan? Like, I don't know. But like, if you got a seven footer like Dirk, but now he can shoot off the dribble too. And now he's seven, four. And I'm like, that's blocking things. And yeah, I think he's the peak. He's the peak of like size and skill. And I don't know what's after that. Like, I don't know how much better you can be at a seven, four, seven, five height.
I think at that point, uh, you got to you got to assume that the human element is going to continue to evolve and you just got to make the court bigger, man. Like, I think you got to make the court bigger because there's just not enough space for all those arms and legs at some point. If you got like five, seven footers out there at once. Yeah, I think they always talk about the the, the way the game evolves and changes. There was once a, upon a time where there wasn't a three point line. Right. So mm-hmm. then we implemented it. So now I guess the question would be, do you move the line back? Like something to think about or do you get a four-point line like where you Steph Curry roll right now shoot a little bit further and it's a game changer when you're down eight with a minute left and now you can come back yeah I mean maybe if late in games like the the rock and jock are you old are you old enough to remember rock and jock on MTV did you ever watch that I'm gonna I'm gonna I, age myself so often during I'm this. old enough to remember it but I don't watch it very often all right well you're old enough to remember the redeem team at least I hope right I am <laughs> old enough to remember it and i did watch uh the netflix special i thought it was really really good i think the storytelling aspect was cool for me to see having played with mellow knowing braun knowing a lot of the players that played and and were a part of it it's just really cool to see the behind the scenes seeing coach k coach and being able to see him voice like some of his concerns like i'm a college coach i'm coming in i'm working with all these players like this is the most important you know, job I've had, like I'm representing our country. I love the storytelling aspect of um, his ability to motivate people, right? Like him, him playing for army, you know, being a part of West Point and then bringing in people who fight for our country to speak. I think he was very powerful in his, in his thinking and his thought process, but then his ability to control your emotions, if you will, by talking about Ginobili, right? Like the thing he did with Ginobili, he said he was the, the best shooting guard in the NBA. He, Yep. He made him watch a highlight tape of Mono Ginobili. Like he knew how he knew how NBA them. players' minds worked, even if he didn't actually coach them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he had a special ability to motivate. And I think that's the the thing that I asked Brandon Ingram about. I asked Jason Tatum. I've asked him about Coach K. And they say he knows how to get the best out of you. Zion said the same thing. Like he just knows how to how to push your buttons in the right way to where he can maximize whatever your ability is, but it's not for everybody. Some people crumble. Some people can't handle it, but usually the strong survive. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, 
visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. So the first thing that I thought, and I was I was in Beijing in 2008. Um, I So I, I covered a little bit of the lead and didn't do much of the, the Vegas stuff. I had forgotten, honestly, that it was like a three-year commitment. Well, for everybody but Kobe. But it was a three-year commitment uh, and a belated spoilers, uh, a spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. Um, I forgot that it was a three-year commitment. I'd forgotten some of the connections that were made during that buildup, like seeing Mike Miller at the Worlds, and you're just like, ah, maybe that's how him and LeBron were just so tight. I'm sure over the years, but that's like, there was a coming together, you could tell, in that buildup to, to the 08 games because of, you know, let's say LeBron, Dwayne, Mello having gone through 04, and then just that commitment to, to rebuilding it. I didn't remember just how how impactful, how emotional that was, how much they really wanted it like that. Because the way I experienced it is like after 92, 96, we all just kind of got lazy. It's like, all right, they're going to win. They're going to win. And I remember in 04, I was like, I just put it all in Larry Brown. Uh, to me, it was like, oh, Larry Brown didn't want anybody to shoot. So, I mean, how, how are they supposed to win if nobody's <laughs> supposed to shoot? And then um, when they lost again in the world, it's just to Greece. It's like, hey, what's, go- what's going on here? And then that that sort of not just the uh, the, the commitment, but the, the patriotism was there, um, obviously, with Coach K creating that again. That, to me, I, I, don't, I, I was going to get your take on that. Did you feel like that sort of pride going into 08? Did you feel like, oh, man, like as a basketball fan, we need to get back on top of the world here? I felt disappointed, like as a basketball player, to see us lose, you know, on the last stage, understand the talent that we had. And I, I felt like it was, you know, obviously I wasn't playing, but it was like embarrassing, right. right? Like we have the best players in the world. We have all these stars and we couldn't come together collectively and win. So I thought that was the hard part. But then you realize that global basketball was catching up. Like they were playing, first of all, year round they had been playing with each other since they were kids and now they're on the national team where it's a it's a year in year out commitment to where they're focused and they're playing for pride and they're playing for their countries and it's important to them i think we got back to it being important to us and i think that was the difference the sacrifice constructing the right type of roster not just the best 12 players the best 12 players that fit what you're trying to accomplish in terms of roles i think getting cp getting d will like getting the right pieces you know getting chris bosh like they handpicked the right pieces to where they could kind of fit together. You get D Wade, right? D Wade's coming off an injury. He rushes, he essentially rushes back to play for the Olympics and kind of shows like, like, look, I'm still one of the best players in the world. It's, it's Braun, it's, it's Kobe and it's me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think that was a cool part to see. And then I think the storytelling aspect of Kobe's personality. Right? I like, miss that man this, so much. <laughs> I know. May he rest in peace. His, his, personality his demeanor them showing like Bron cracking jokes and then being able to sit down and talk and say like look man like kobe works this type of way i work this type of way but i crack jokes and kobe being able to open up and get out of his shell but then you see the maniac work ethic where it's 5 a.m he's working out you see how he approaches practice he's diving for loose balls he runs through pal gasol his teammate like you see how much the game means to him and how serious he takes it and how precise you have to you have to be with your movements and then he him being able to tell the crowd like shh as, yeah. as he hits a big shot like it was it was chills it gave me chills to watch him yeah he was i mean it it became just more serious even when he got there and he wasn't like the most popular player in the league at the time like uh, you know he was it was still between championship runs right where he was still getting a little bit of selfish a little bit of other stuff and you're right like it it's 
it's jarring to see it sometimes. Like it must be for even you where it's like you work your ass off and it's just like, oh, wow, there might be somebody who works harder. How does that even work? Like, do you do you ever come across that and just like, man, I don't know where that comes from in certain people because I know I work my butt off. Yeah, I mean, I work extremely hard. I put a lot of time, a lot of hours in 6 a.m. I've done all of that stuff, but to just see how he works consistently and how he's worked and hear the stories and it gives you perspective. Like I work really hard on my craft. I take this game very seriously. And there's a reason why he had so much success. There's a reason why he hit big shots. There's a reason why he started with the air balls, right? As a rookie and then took another one and then took another one. Like he didn't care about failure and then he would work through it in order to continue to be able to repeat greatness. And I think that was a cool part for me to see. And then the last part I'll say is the storytelling behind how popular he was like the other players talked about like we were pretty popular in most countries and then we went to asia and we seen (laughs) that it was just kobe kobe everybody's favorite player was kobe thousands of people outside the hotel and that's how you knew like he was the global face of basketball it was kobe bryant yeah i mean i hope it feels lonely i hope he wasn't lonely while he was doing it i hope he knew how much he was adored but um, a couple other things that that were a little shocking for me. Uh, it was, it literally made me sort of sitting up in my chair to remember, man, Carlos Boozer was on two of the most important <laughs> Olympic teams in history. And I was just like, you don't remember that when he was in Utah, dude was putting up some numbers, man. Like it was 25 and 12 for that guy. So it was like, it did, watching it back, I'm like, man, Carlos Boozer. And I go look at the stats. I was like, wow, Carlos Boozer. <laughs> he was pretty oh, damn Carlos good. Carlos was getting he was getting to it. And he had Michael Red on there, an Ohio guy. Yeah. Like they they had a deep roster. They had guys that first of all, Chris Paul and D Wade were coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Like that tells you how good they were, like right off the rip. Like, and this is when D Will at the peak of his powers. Like, this is yes, this is the D Will that was 20 and 10 for like 10 straight years. Yeah, had that handle that you couldn't get comfortable. He's just rocking and rocking. Um, yeah, that, that team was ridiculous. And I like I, I understand now how a how good the team has to be to win these things internationally. Like it's insane that you have to put that level of team together and it's still a two point game against Spain with three minutes left, you know, in the gold medal <laughs> match. Um, and yeah, I think um, I think that that sort of patriotism is back a little bit with the with the international with the USA team. And I think that team did it all, did it for them. And I think, um, yes, it was really cool watching them interact uh, with the other Olympians, you know, especially after four years earlier when they were on a cruise ship and isolated from from everybody else. But, yeah, I thought all that was was pretty cool. I I mean, it was strange because I was there and there was things like the Pau Gasol foul that I didn't even notice like while I was there I was like oh yeah look at that that's another, just another foul I didn't really put together at the time maybe that's just because I'm a bad reporter but uh <laughs> anyway uh if anybody hasn't seen if you haven't seen that I uh I strongly suggest giving it a look on Netflix but um speaking of the Lakers uh they will not be a team that I consider a contender this year uh not only so they make a significant move or two but I wanted to get it. I know you talked with uh, Brandon Ingram last week a little bit about the Eastern Conference, but in the Western Conference, it's really interesting because like last year uh, with Phoenix sort of running uh, the regular season throughout, it felt like they were the favorites in the West and maybe the East was a little bit more top heavy. Um, with Golden State winning it, now you look at them as probably you know the one true contender 
out West and everybody else that we thought was contenders last year, maybe need like a question answered in there. Like, where do you, what do you think of when you see the Western conference? Cause you're, you know, one of those teams that people could say, Hey, could be anywhere on that, uh, you know, playoff lists one through eight, like depends on, on how things shake out. I think it's, I think it's golden state and the rest of us, to be honest hmm. with you. I think there's a lot of teams that have talent. There's a lot of depth, but they are the only proven team. When I say proven, I mean they've won championships. They're battle-tested. They have figured out ways to win different ways, right? They had the KD time. They had pre-KD. They got post-KD championship where they develop young players, young talent, obviously Jordan Poole. And they draft well. They bring Wiseman back to the fold this right. year. Um, they still have Steph. They got a healthy Clay who's basically resting up for the regular season. I think all of those things kind of factor into why – I know I think Kevin Kevin Pelton had them finishing eighth in the West. And I think they're the type of team where it doesn't matter what seed they get. Um, they just need to get into the playoffs healthy and probably get a home game if they get a, if they get if they can be a home seed and they got action because of the the way their players play, but especially how they play at home. I think that's a factor. But if you look at the rest of the West, obviously everyone's gonna talk about the Clippers, right? You know, Kawhi's back, he's healthy. You got PG, he's healthy. You bring in John, you trade for Norman Powell, you got Robert Covington, you got Nicholas Batum, you re-sign the big fella. Like you have a Morrison twin. They, they are 12, deep. they're legit 12 deep. They got two starting fives. Like if you mm -hmm. look at the roster breakdown, like they have a very, very talented team. They have a great coach in T Lou. So like they have a chance, but they got to stay healthy. And there's a lot of stuff that has to go well for them. The well, there's one element that I think you can relate to. Hang on. I want to stay here with the Clippers for a second because uh, PG, Paul George just recently said, hey, look, uh, this is Kawhi's team. He referenced um, the story that I wrote uh, back in 2012 uh, when Dwayne Wade said, hey, look, this is LeBron's team. I'm going to take the step back, fill whatever role he needs me to fill. But this is clearly LeBron's team. Well, so Paul George said, hey, this is Kawhi's team. Um, I will be more than happy to fill as the number two wherever he needs it. But, you know, just like that Miami Heat team, we need to differentiate between, you know, one and two in terms of options. Obviously, in Portland, that was a, an issue, not an issue, but something that you and Dame probably had to discuss every once in a while. What is that dynamic like? Like, what is the setting of your team versus the secondary guy? And how does, you know, how does that work within throughout the season? Yeah, I think me and Dame never really had to do anything like that because... Mm -hmm. We just were willing to do whatever it took to win. So that means okay. it's your night, it's my night, it's your night. Like, I don't care whose night it is. Let's just win. Like, if you're hot, keep going, keep shooting. Don't worry about it. I mean, I think when you care about somebody as a person, then you want to see them be successful. And you'll figure out ways to allow them to be successful. And then they'll figure out ways to kind of help you be successful. So I don't even think it was necessary for PG to do that because they have to be able to coexist in order to have success. And that means... Some nights it's going to be Kawhi, some nights it's going to be PG, but they're both going to be able to still be themselves and have success. I think for us, it's the same thing. Like I always joke when people say it's 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 Kawhi's team or it's PG's team. It's like, no, it's Steve Ballmer's team. And <laughs> this, and that was, you know, Mr. Allen, may he rest in peace. And and that was the Allens, you know, Jody's team. And now I'm here and it's Ms. Benson's team. It's like, this ain't my team. <laughs> like, right, I, I know right. who writes the checks. It's like, I can help orchestrate. I can put guys in position. I can sacrifice. I can take big shots some nights. I cannot take big shots. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to win, then you just figure it out. You figure out how to make the right play. 
And sometimes that's you shooting it. Sometimes that's you passing it. Sometimes that's you trusting that the next guy can do it. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's B-I-Z or it's me. It's like for us to win a championship or contend for a championship, it's not going to come down to Z, B-I, and me. It comes down to everybody else, how well they play, how well the role players play, how well is our bench, how well does Willie coach, how consistent are we to help everybody else. I think that's what the good teams do. And it's like Steph played well, Dre played well, but like some nights it was Kevin Looney. Some nights it was him getting 20. What about end of games? Is that when you sort of have to differentiate like who gets the first look? Yeah, I think end of games is is when it really matters. And you're going to have the ball in your best player's hands down the stretch. So you're running actions that are Steph, Clay, Trey, right? Like the three guys who you know you can trust making decisions. You know who can mm-hmm. shoot, dribble, pass. Obviously, Ray's not really shooting. He's dribbling and passing. And then you got Jordan Poole who's in the mix. But it's like... If one of those people is in the action or two of them, you feel comfortable. I think the same can be said for us in New Orleans. It's like you run an action with Z and B.I. You run an action with Z and me. You run an action with B.I. and me. It's like if there's three of us or two of us in that action, you can live with the result. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to shoot it. Like Steph mm-hmm. may come off and see Jordan in the corner and he swings it. But Clay is the extra pass. And it's like right. that's a great situation that you can live with. The same can be said for the Phoenix Suns, right? They're running an action. It's CP, Book, Aiton. It's like, who, we don't care what happens. It's like you put your best players in the action and down the stretch, you just live with them making plays for others or themselves over and over again. If they can make more of the right plays than wrong, you win the game. It feels like, though, if you were to choose between those two as sort of the orchestrator versus the guy who, you know, fill it up and just kind of finish or maybe run set sets for him. It's a good that's it's a good way to approach that. Like PG can just fill it up. You just run stuff for him, catch and shoot, whatever it is, and have Kawhi sort of orchestrate everything and you know get his while he can. I feel like that's more of PG's style of play anyway, right? Yeah, he gets to it. So like he could say it's Kawhi's team all he wants, but he's still gonna go average 20 something a night something he's, he's gonna shoot tough shots. He's gonna hit tough shots and he's gonna play make too. But I think it's it's a coach's job to figure out roster structure and rotation. It's like you have the roster, you got the structure, but now you play with your rotation to where Kawhi and PG won't always be on the court at the same time. Right. So it's Kawhi's team, and then Kawhi goes out of the game. Who are you running plays for? PG, Norman Powell. You're going to be running plays for those guys, but ball is going to be in his hands to choose. Same thing for the Suns. Like You could say it's Book's team, you could say it's CP's team, but it's like down the stretch, those two guys are orchestrating who shoots. And you play how, with your rotation. That's really, really important. How tough of a duo are they? And we'll get off the Clippers in a second. Duo are they defensively when they're on the floor together? I mean, Paul they're, and... they're rangy. If you're talking about Paul, Paul George and Kawhi, they're both rangy. They're both strong. They both can guard. You know, they're switchable. So one through four, one through five. Comfortable on point guards. Comfortable on wings. Can get are you uncomfortable handling the ball around them? Not necessarily, you know, uncomfortable, but your version of uncomfortable. No, 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 because I just have supreme confidence in my handle. And okay. those are guys who there's a respect factor in this game, right? Like there's pressure and then there's just staying in front. They're not going to really like, you're not taking the ball from me. So you got to just, you know, be honest, you know, get contests and kind of do what you can to get a stop. But they're not really out there like being a pest like Patrick Beverly. Like they're not, they're just staying in front. Um. Probably don't have to go through all of them, but just give me a couple of teams that you think, uh, you know, if they get one thing right, they'll probably be up on that list with Golden State. I would say 
we already talked about the Clippers a ton. I like the T Wolves length, and I like the addition of Gobert. I, I, obviously, you got to see what that looks like when they all play together. You got Anthony Edwards. You got a lot of talent around the team, but it's just more so like in the playoffs. What do they do with those two? Twin towers, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because right with seasons, whatever. But it's like when you get into playoffs, matchups matter, and how do you guard the pick and roll? I think it'll be cool to see the Nuggets with Jamal Murray. Like, I'm really looking forward to seeing him back out there. Like, you got Michael Porter, you got the guy who c- continues to figure out ways to win MVPs. Like, that's a really good team. And I would like to see us as a healthy roster, like the Pelicans with Z, with, with, with BI, JV, like. We have a deep team. We got her. We got Trey Murphy. Like we've got a lot of players who can do a lot of different things. I want to see how we come together and uh, make sure we're playing our best basketball down the stretch. But I think I think there's a lot of teams who who could win 50 games or more. I think the only two teams that are on that list that maybe you didn't mention. I'm not sure. Maybe I didn't hear it. The Mavs and the Grizz. Yeah, I think the Mavs are always they always figure out a way to make the playoffs. Luke is going to help them. The addition uh, that they got this offseason um, with. Tim Hardaway coming back first and foremost, but then the Christian Wood signing and JaVale McGee, I think helps him. Wood is a good pickup because he stretches the floor and he can shoot. Yeah. The Grizzlies are just grit and grind. Like Jaws is an all-world player. He's athletic. He's explosive. They're, you just assume they're going to play well now at this point. Like You just assume they're going to win 50-something games, but the playoffs is about matchups, man. And Last year they ran to the Warriors and Ja got hurt. So like that was a tough year, and it's – Similar to, to to every season, you have to be healthy, but you also have to be matched up with the right team. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that Grizzly seems going to be crazy and uh, intriguing. I think teams are going to really test Jaws defense. Uh, maybe basically the front and the back of that defense, like Jaws initial, and then Triple J staying out of foul trouble. Because if they, you know, Jaw plays better defense up front, and Triple J can be that rim protector and not get into foul trouble, I think they might, you know, have that defense fixed up. Because I think that's probably, honestly, the only spot I can think of where they're really missing anything. Yeah, I think I think they have a lot of pieces. I think what's going to hurt them though is losing slow-mo. I think that's an underrated yeah. loss. I like his his integrity. Obviously the way he plays, he's slow, methodical, can initiate the offense, but he can guard, which is important. You got to can guard multiple positions and still be able to bring the ball up. And he was he was able to do that for them. And Kyle Anderson is also a very calming influence because he's slow-mo. Uh, CJ I'm personally super excited about your team I mean you and Zion like you've got to be pretty geeked about this like it's the balance on that team like you're like I mentioned whatever you want to call it lead guard or whatever Um, this has to like one of the seasons that you've probably been most excited to start no yeah I think this is a really cool opportunity for me but more more so a cool opportunity for our team in the city we got a talented roster. We're healthy. You know, Z's back. We're coming off a playoff run where we made some noise down the stretch of the season, went to playing games, get to the playoffs. Um, I'm in a different point in my career where I really understand the game. This is year 10, nine straight years in the playoffs. I know the preparation that it takes. I've lost to the Warriors. I've lost to the Spurs and watched them go win a championship. Like, I know what championship basketball looks like. So it's really cool to kind of see. As a player, you go from your younger stage to your older stage, so you know the importance of practice. You know the importance of taking care of your body, eating right on the plane, getting your sleep, but then also execution and how you grow throughout the season I think is extremely important. I'm looking forward to seeing our growth as a young team in this league, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the young guys like really, really step up, like Jose and, and Trey and Najee and, and, and seeing them play on the big stage. It's going to be really cool. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because like uh... – 
that you know a championship team when you see it like what it looks like is what you said i know it it's so true and when when you don't like when you see it develop and then you're just like oh wow this is a championship team like that's that's the most fun i would say but uh, I say all that just because I'm very much looking forward to your team this year. Very much looking forward to this podcast for the rest of the year, man. Uh, had fun so far today. Uh, yeah. Good luck the rest of the season. And we'll talk next week. No, I appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm happy we're going to be able to chop it up weekly and be able to talk about the NBA and share stories and chatter. And uh, hopefully we're talking in May and in June yeah. when it really matters. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's when I want to talk the most about NBA. So hopefully, yeah. <laughs>